1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is going to be our main passage we're going to look at today uh, related to the rapture. And um, when it comes to uh, this whole thing, one of the things you need to remember with the rapture of the church is that there's two main passages. Anytime that you're talking about the rapture or somebody asks you about the rapture, and if you don't know where to go, there's two places in your Bible. One is the 1 Thessalonians 4. And the other one is the 1 Corinthians 15. Between those two passages, they give you a clear explanation of the rapture and all the major details. Now, the rapture is all over the place, and we're going to talk about that as we get into some of the details. But those are going to be the two ones, 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So look at your guys' study sheet on the, ver- on the front. We've got our verse in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, where it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So that's where this one specifically mentions mystery. So that's why I threw that one up as your, as your headline, talking about the mystery of the rapture. But First Thessalonians chapter 4 gives you more details about what's going to happen and how it's all going to transpire. So as I was doing my studies um, and talking about the rapture, um, I found this picture. Um, I mean, borderline blasphemous, but when, when I saw it, I'm like, yeah, it's a vacuum cleaner. I'm like, yeah, I would not be able to really do this in an adult class. So I'm like, yeah, we can do that. one. So I don't think it's going to take place quite like that. Um, but anywho, that is no, I, I really, I really don't know. I don't know if he's going to. Yeah. Whether or not it's Dyson or if that's the Antichrist company, I have no idea. It's going to be Hula Company. All right. So anyway, that's not how it's going to happen, but I at least wanted to put that out there. Okay, so we're going to talk about the rapture. All right, so in talking about the rapture, there's a few things that we need to talk about, and, and as we normally do, if there's something that you're confused about or maybe something has come up that somebody's asked you a question that you couldn't answer related to the rapture, I want to try to tackle that. So if those things are not addressed or something's not clear, uh, make sure that you interrupt and you ask that question so we can get that answered. All right, so let's define the word rapture. So this will be page two. All right, rapture. So when you talk about the word rapture and you were to look it up in the dictionary, the very simple definition of the word rapture means seizing suddenly by force, transport, a hurrying along with velocity. And that is within all the context that you could use rapture for. So when we're talking about rapture, it's definitely a sudden seizing by force. That there comes a moment where God calls us up and we are out of here. So that's how we use the term rapture. Now, the word rapture is not found in your Bible, so you can't like open up your Bible app and say, hey, I want to learn about the rapture and go, rapture. It's not going to be there. Similar to how Trinity, the word Trinity is not going to be in your Bible either. But does that mean it's not biblical? No, of course. I mean, it's a concept. Yes, that word is made by men to describe the event. But when it comes to that word being unbiblical, no, it's not an unbiblical word. It's a word that people have used for a long, long period of time. Uh, This view of the rapture that we have here at our church is something that's been around since basically Jesus was here, um, and it was hidden in the Old Testament, so even prior. There's a lot of people that believe the things that we believe, and they're like, oh, the people just started believing that within the last several hundred years. That's baloney. It's not true. What we believe has been historically true within the church for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and even into the Old Testament, if you had an Old Testament Jew that was willing to believe the scriptures. So we're talking about rapture, that seizing suddenly by force. And we got the first Corinthians 15 and the first Thessalonians 4, uh, 16 and 17. So take a look at chapter four and I'm going to back it up to verse 14. Verse 14, follow along with me. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So working through these verses, we'll kind of work through them in a little bit. But there are some definite things here that this is, this is most assuredly talking about the rapture of the church. Now, there are some Christians that believe this is talking about the second coming. And this is not talking about the second coming. 
because um, for many different reasons, and we're going to look at those here in a minute because we're going to compare the second coming from the rapture. But when you look at these verses and look at verse 14, where it says, also those which sleep in Jesus, what does that mean? Those that sleep in Jesus, what does that mean? Dead people. people. How do you know that? Cross-reference it to what? Anyone know of another circumstance in your Bible where it talks about someone that was dead, but Jesus said he's sleeping? Yes, Stephen says he fell asleep in Acts chapter 7. <coughs> Lazarus in John chapter 11. So this is a common term. So people that are dead in Christ, God looks at them and says, hey, they're asleep. And interestingly, if you look at verse 16, it actually defines it for us because it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So those that sleep in Jesus in verse 14 is the same as those that are dead in Christ. So right there within your own context, he even defines those terms. This is why I love the Bible. If there's anything that you don't understand, like while you're reading it, just look at the verses around it and all the words that are surrounding that phrase and how God uses it. And he defines it for you right there. But most people don't do that. And so here's a great example about how God defines his terms within the context of that passage. Okay, so... Let's compare these two. So you got the rapture and you have the second coming. Now, we as a church, and I'm going to explain this as we work through it, but we believe that the rapture is going to take place prior to the tribulation. We believe that the Bible is very, very clear about that, that you have what's called the church age. And then after the church age is over, you have the rapture. And then you have a period of time, and it's probably not going to be very, very long until the tribulation begins. And that would start with the signing of the seven-year peace treaty between the Antichrist and the nation of Israel. And then in the midst of that covenant, three and a half years in, the Antichrist is going to break that. And then things are going to get really bad on the earth at that point in time. And then after things are really, really bad, then you have some other events unfold where the earth is is almost going to be completely destroyed. It's only like one third of everyone and everything is actually going to survive. And then you have the second coming. So the rapture takes place before the tribulation. So for those of us that are born again, that you've trusted Christ as your savior, that is good news. He's going to take us out of here before the tribulation even begins. Now, the other side of that coin is, how should that make you feel about people that are lost? Thanks, Andy. <laughs> How should it make you feel? What should it do inside of you about people that are lost and without Christ? Yeah, go and talk with them. Why? Yeah, because you have compassion. I mean, anyone that is not saved, anyone that does not have Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are going to go through hell on earth. I'm not joking. Read the book of Revelation. It is going to be absolutely terrible. And two-thirds of the planet is going to be completely wiped out. I mean, it's going to get bad, really, really bad. And the Bible says it's never going to be as bad as what it's going to be. And so you start to think about stuff like that. Do you really want people, I don't care how much you hate somebody, do you really want someone going through something like that? Absolutely not. And so we need to think about that stuff. See, we forget. We get caught up in our moments and in our days and the things that we want to accomplish and our goals and the things that we have to do. And, and we forget about what's coming. We forget about the future. We forget about eternity. And we need to be reminded. This is one of the reasons why you need to be daily in your Bible. Because if you're daily in your Bible, uh, God uses the term, especially for us as Laodiceans living in the time that we live, it's so deceitful, that the word of God is like ISAV. It is like ISAB, and ISAB is medicine. It's medicine that you put on your eyes in order to heal your vision, for you to be able to see clearly. And if you're not in the Bible, you can't take God's ISAB and put it on your eyes and go, oh my word, I can see. And that's why you have examples in the Gospels where you had a guy that was blind and Jesus spit in mud and put it on his eyes and then he could see. I mean, there are several examples like that that he does to show you, hey, listen, we don't look right. And it's not about being ugly. I'm not talking about that. No, we don't look outright. We don't see things properly. We don't see circumstances and people properly from our perspective, from our flesh, from this world. We need the word of God to freshen our vision in order for us to see things the right way. Okay, so we're going to talk about the rapture and that compared to the second coming. So we just read in First Thessalonians chapter 4 that we're going to meet him in the air. Look at that verse again. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So specifically in verse 16, 
those that are dead, those that have accepted Christ as their Savior, and they are currently dead and buried. And I think about people like my cousin. I think about my grandma. I think, I think about my grandpa. I think about those that have passed before me. My cousin died when he was 26 of cancer. And, and it was the first like major death in my family that I had gone through. And it, it, was, it was gut-wrenching. It was very difficult. But I know where he is because he trusted Christ as his Savior. And when that day comes, he's coming out of the grave before I get caught up. That's exactly what it says. Those that are dead in Christ shall rise first. So his spirit, his soul is currently with the Lord. And it is going to be reunited with his body. And he's going to come up out of the ground with a glorified body. And after that unfolds, then I'm going to hear my name called. And then I'm out of here too. And that's going to be an absolutely amazing day. Or I'll get older and I'll die. And my body will be buried. And then my soul and my spirit will be with the Lord. And then when that day comes, then I'll be out of the ground first. Maybe before some of you. So this is just an interesting concept. We don't think about these things quite often. Timmy. So what about people that like die at sea or people that like cremated? Will their body just like... Yep. Up? Absolutely. Because think about it. If someone's buried in a casket, I mean, if you're buried properly, you're going to be preserved longer. But still, your body's going to break down into dust and into dirt. And so God has the ability to bring back all those molecules and part- particles and everything and atoms and everything and refashion it and make it a glorified body. Yeah, Haley. Okay, so I had a thought. Is we were, like, doing cadavers in anatomy. Mm-hmm. Kind of. I mean, in a way. I mean, it's not going to be zombie-ish for sure because it's gonna, they're going to have a glorified body. So um, so hold your spot here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Go to 1, 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to see how this is worded in 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. So 1 Corinthians 15. This gives a lot more detail about the resurrection and how it's going to unfold. So let's see here. Okay, look at verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? See, that's our question right now, right? Okay, so that's our question. And right there, the Bible says, all right, people are going to ask this question. You've got the rapture, you've got the resurrection. People are going to ask these questions. Okay, so now Paul's going to answer it. And then he says, thou fool. So I don't think he's calling you a fool, Shaley, but I mean, you can take that if you want, George Timmy. He's not talking about it. Okay, because... I mean, it's foolish thinking. It's worldly thinking. So people that are coming against the resurrection or they're coming against the rapture, it's because they're using worldly wisdom. And, and that's okay because, I mean, a lot of us are immature in our understanding and our thinking, and we need to mature. That's why we need the Bible. We need life experience in order to learn these things. Uh, but there comes a point where you're like, well, how is that going to work? And the reason why we ask those questions is because we're thinking like humans. We're thinking like humans, which is normal because I'm pretty sure everybody's human, right? Pretty sure? Everybody here? Yeah. <laughs> Is the jury still out on you, Alana? You don't know yet? Okay. All right. So, but we need to think how God thinks, all right? And so now Paul's going to explain how does God think about this matter. All right. Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. All right. So just even there alone, he's like, that which is sowest is not quickened except it die. Okay. Take a seed, any seed. Somebody name one. Sunflower seed. Sunflower seed. Okay. Is that seed alive? No, it is not. But if you put that seed into fertile ground and it has proper water and sunlight, what will happen? Life. God made it that way for a reason. Because remember, God created everything. And so when God created the whole process of seeds and how the seed is actually not alive, but when you put it into living soil with water, there's a lot of pictures right there. Water being the word of God, soil being like your heart. The gospel on its own cannot bring new life. The gospel is called a seed, by the way, in the Bible. And when the gospel goes out and is planted into the heart that is soft, and the word of God waters that, it has the ability to produce life. So, a person is like this. He says, that which is so is not, is not quick and accept it, die. Our flesh is dead, Correct? It is dead in sin. It is corrupt. It is not anything that's going to last eternally. So when this body dies, it is going to be raised with a resurrected body of some sort. That is also true for lost people as well. But it's a matter of what kind of body do they get. 
because we're all made to be eternal beings. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 37. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body which shall be, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain. Okay, so this is another one. All right, so take that same example, sunflower seed. If you plant a sunflower seed, is it going to all of a sudden shoot up more sunflower seeds out of the ground? No, what happens? You have a sunflower, and it doesn't look the same as a seed, right? So it's planted in the ground as one body, but when it starts to create new life and grows out, it looks like something completely different. Same thing with a caterpillar, butterfly, the whole metamorphosis type deal, okay? So it's the same thing. You have one body, and it is sown in corruption. Boom, it's dead. And when it gets raised up, it's now something brand new and something completely different, okay? So this is the same thing we see in nature, same thing that's going to happen with our, with our bodies. All right, let's keep going. Verse 38. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. That makes sense. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. So celestial meaning what? Like space, heaven, right? Yeah, of the stars where heaven is, space, the universe, something that can travel out within the universe, and bodies terrestrial or the earth, okay? That's one of the reasons why we were not made to go to other planets, by the way, because we were made from this earth. So our bodies are, I mean, you can go out to the moon, but man, you start going crazy. There's a lot of things out there. Your body was not made to travel in space. It was made to be on this planet for a reason. But one day, you're going to have a celestial body that will be made to go out to the other planets and to the, out, to the far reaches of the universe, which is quite fascinating. And then verse 40, so you have bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star differs from another star in glory. So even though you might have a celestial body, there's differences between them. Out in the heavens, you have the sun, you have the moon, you have the stars. But even among the stars, they're different colors, they're different sizes, they're different shapes. It's the same thing. Your celestial body that you're going to get one day, if you are in Christ, if you are born again, is going to be different in glory. Okay. Then it says in verse 42, So also, so everything he just said, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. As I said, people that are lost and people that are saved, when your natural body dies, there is a spiritual body waiting for you. Everyone that has been lost and they are currently in hell waiting for judgment. When they are raised and they will be raised, they are going to be given a spiritual body and it's not going to be the same as ours because they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. So the body that they have is going to withstand the eternal fires of the lake of fire for all eternity and they're going to be in it. And that is terrifying to think about. But that's exactly what the Bible talks about. There is the natural body and then there is a spiritual body. Verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Talking about Adam, literally. And then the second Adam or the last Adam would be Jesus. Verse 46. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. This is always God's order of things. He does natural first and then spiritual. Natural first and then spiritual. Think about it. Even from the very beginning. Um, when Adam and Eve had kids, who did they have? Cain, Abel. Now, which one was righteous in the eyes of God? Abel. Abel. And he was the second born. Cain, Abel. Got it? What about Jacob and Esau? Who was born first? Esau. Esau. Then? Jacob. Jacob. And who got the inheritance and the blessing? Jacob, Jacob did. I mean, this is God's pattern. He's always in the pattern of showing you, you must be born again. You must be born again. When you come into this world, you have your natural body. You have who you are as a lost person, and you need a new one. You need a new one. You need to be born again. That's something very, very important. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 47. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are also that are earthy. 
and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, so sh- or we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And then here's our verses. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or, what other word? Die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible or your flesh shall have put uh, shall have put on incorruption, that celestial body, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, out of all those things, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Okay, so a couple of things from these last, uh, these last several verses. First of all, he says that it's going to happen in a moment. All right, so let's use that example that Haley gave. So you're in biology or you're in some sort of science class and you are working on a cadaver. All right, and let's say in that moment the rapture is going to take place and the person that had that body was actually born again. All right, so be freaky. But. <laughs> Here's what's going to happen, and we're going to, I don't know if we're going to have time to hit all this. We may not. We'll see. Okay. I'm just going to describe it. We'll hit some of the passages if we have time. Okay. So when the trumpet sounds, the trumpet is not just a trumpet, but it's the voice of God. So when God speaks in the scripture, it's recognized as a trumpet all over the scripture. Okay. So you have the voice of God. The voice of God is also likened unto thunder. And so you have a scenario where a trumpet sounds, but it's actually the voice of God. And there's some people that are going to think it sounds like thunder. And you can see from other passages of scripture that people that are lost and do not know God, they think that it's thunder. But people that are actually belong to God, they will actually hear their name. They're going to hear their name called. And it's going to sound like a trumpet. It's going to sound like thunder, but they're going to hear their name called. And we can, we'll look at one passage for sure because I want to show that one to you. So when that happens, let's say this guy's name is, make up a name. John. Paul. Paul. All right. Paul. All right. I like Paul. That was my grandpa's name. That's my middle name. I like it. All right. So Paul. Dead Paul. All right. So we got dead Paul on the table. All right. So all of a sudden, God shows up. He's like, all right, time for the rapture, guys. Ready? He's up in heaven. That's what he does. Probably not. It's going to be probably way better than anything I could ever think of. And he's going to go, Paul. All right. (laughs) All right. And when that happens, his dead spirit, his soul is going to leave heaven right down into that body. And in a moment, it says, boom, twinkling of an eye. So anyone anyone have a twinkling eye? All right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, 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 all right, yeah, all right. I can't wink that well. Okay, all right, so in a twinkling of an eye, in a moment, just boom, faster than one second, that body has been completely changed. So right before that person, that body is now completely changed and is now a celestial body, and it says that they then go. Now, I don't think they're going to be causing holes in the ceilings because here's why. The celestial body, according to the scriptures, is likened unto Jesus' body. Now, Jesus' body had the ability to pass through closed doors in walls. So when this occurs and they have this new celestial body, they will ascend and go basically straight through all the material of anything that's in their way, and they will meet the Lord in the air. This will also take place, funerals, people walking in graveyards. I mean, you start to think about that? Yeah. I mean, think about it. This is what the Bible says. The dead in Christ shall rise first, right? That's what it says. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So it's not this, all right? So <laughs> so it's not this, but imagine, take away the vacuum cleaner and take away the Antichrist version of Jesus, right? Because I think the Antichrist, yeah, all right. So... It's not the Jared Leto version of Jesus. Okay, so you have, you have these souls that are then leaving. So, But imagine this. Like, this would take place worldwide. Worldwide. So not just like, okay, so everybody that has died between Acts chapter 2 up to that current moment, which you're talking like millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people that have died, right? They are get their celestial bodies and boom. They're all going to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the Lord's going to descend into the atmosphere. He's going to be in the clouds. So they're all going to congregate in one area and be behind the clouds. 
And we're going to watch that unfold. And then after that, those of us that are still alive are going to hear your name called. And then you are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds. And then it says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So at that point in time, whether it's instantaneous or he takes us through the universe very slowly on a tour, I don't know. Um, but since he has the ability to move at the speed of light, and we all will at that point in time, after we meet him in the clouds, boom, we could be up into the third heaven. And we could be with there and we're there with him for all eternity. Because even at the second coming, we come back with him. And we are with him with everything that he does when he comes back to the planet. Yeah. Yes. Weren't necessarily saved like by salvation, but like through sacrifices. Yes. Would their bodies go shooting up too? No, they will not. Don't say shoot up. <laughs> <laughs> He's diabetic, Andy. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Okay, I had a moment. I saw a funny video where that happened. I described it, I think, to you guys. Yeah, we did. We did. There were two girls. There were three girls in a car. And there was a girl in the back seat and said, Oh, my gosh, just saw a guy shooting up heroin in his front seat. And the girl goes, He was diabetic! (laughs) I'm like, oh, my word. (laughs) Sorry for those of you on the recording. That has nothing to do with the rapture. It was just within our context. Okay. All right. So, so anyway. um, Trying to get this train, this wreck train back on track. No. Um, because they were not born again. They were not born again. And we'll talk about that in a minute because I want to talk about the three parts to the rapture that exist, and then we'll talk about where that fits into everything else. All right? So we'll hold that one. Yeah. The people that did go up to heaven, like Elijah and the other one. Moses? Yeah. Enoch? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Will they be up in the clouds with us? Because, I mean, they sort of kind of had a similar-ish experience? They had a similar-ish experience. I think that's pretty accurate. Well, Moses actually did die, but his body was resurrected, and he is with the Lord currently. We know that from the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was talking with both of them together. Now, their mission is different, so I don't think they're going to be with Jesus. I think they're going to still be in the third heaven um, when that takes place, and then they're actually going to be sent down from the third heaven during the tribulation in order to be the two witnesses that testified to everybody on the earth that and 144,000 Jewish male virgins that are going to witness to everybody. So, uh, but they are not born again either. So the key, the key word here is born again, born again. And when I say born again, what I mean by that is, is the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. According to Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 and 14, when a person hears the gospel and they, they understand that Jesus died for them and through believing in him and knowing that they're a sinner, that they need a savior and calling upon him to save them, through that act alone of having faith in God and believing him and then calling upon him to save him, which it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 and verse 13, then the spirit of God moves in and permanently indwells in their body and he will never go away. When that happens, a person that has the spirit of God permanently indwelling them, they're called a son of God. No Old Testament believer was ever called a son of God except for Adam because he directly came from God. Outside of that, the next son of God that showed up other than Adam, was Jesus. And then in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, to as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So those of us that are born again now become what's called the sons of God, and we have a very unique and special role within God's plan that's going to last for all eternity. And it's only going to happen during this time. As far as Old Testament saints, yes, they will be present and there are certain things that they're going to do, but it falls within a different parameter about how God dealt with mankind at that time. So there's a lot of detail there that I'm like seriously skipping, but we can talk about that if we have some time at the end. All right. Okay. Good so far. Good questions. Completely derailed my lesson, but good questions. I like it. I like it. All right. Because that's the whole point. I want you guys to really understand this. Okay. So rapture versus the second coming. We just read that passage on that Jesus Christ meets us in the air. We talked about how the church is called up. Uh, A good phrase in your Bible, if you want to write a note next to uh, the church is called up, you can put the phrase come up hither. If you were to search in your Bible, the phrase come up hither as an exact phrase, you'll find it shows up like three times in your Bible, ironically. And there's three different parts of the rapture, by the way, which is kind of cool. Once in Proverbs, and then you have uh, once in Revelation chapter 4 which would be the rapture of the church that takes place there. And another time in Revelation chapter 7, it shows up there too. So come up hither. 
And then um, the last point of how we know that the rapture is different is that there must be a bride ready for a wedding and a marriage supper. So the church is called the bride of Christ. And when you read through the book of Revelation, you hit chapter 19 where there is a marriage supper. And that marriage supper is where Jesus Christ gets married to his bride, and finally once and for all. And we are part of that bride of Christ that we're going to take place in that marriage supper and that marriage celebration with him before we come back with him at the second coming. Okay, now let's look at just a couple passages on this one. Go to Zechariah, Zechariah, Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14. So be past all the uh, minor prophets. So if you hit Matthew, just go a little bit to your left from Malachi, then Zechariah. So it's just barely at the end uh, of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 14. All right, Zechariah 14 in verse 4. Okay, so when Jesus comes back, this is what's going to happen. Zechariah 14 in verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Okay, so big difference. We meet him in the clouds. Here, he comes down and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, which is exactly what the angel said in Acts chapter 1. When Jesus ascended, they're all looking up. And what did the angels say? Anyone remember? What did the angels say? Yeah. Why are you staring up at heaven? And then they said, the way he went up is the same way he's going to come down. So, he's going to come down, but it's going to be a little bit different here because he kind of just went... This time when he comes down, this is how I picture it, because look what it says. Upon the Mount of Olives... And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. There shall be a great valley. Half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. So when Christ comes back, it's not going to be a little. <laughs> it's going to be a boom. <laughs> I mean, and the mountain is going to split in two. Superhero landing. Yes. It's going to be the best. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not going to be Avenger style. No, no, it's going to be way better, way better. So when he comes back, his feet are going to hit that mountain and it's going to crack that mountain in half, in half of the mountain, half of the mountain. I mean, just think about that for a second. Half of the mountain is going to go one way and half of the mountain is going to go the other. It's going to be like, um, I think Jesus is here. I mean, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know. And that's part of the reason. And not only is it just going to be him, but in the book of Jude, it talks about that he comes with 10,000s of his saints. So those that have been raptured up with him, and we now have our bodies, it literally says that we're going to follow him on white horses. And I know my wife's going to love that day because she's allergic to horses. Well, she won't be allergic in that day because she's going to have a celestial body. She loves horses. All right. So we're going to be, I mean, imagine 10,000s, 10,000 times 10,000s of his saints on white horses following him down. And there is going to be a great battle that's going to ensue because you have the Antichrist gathered his armies from the earth and they're going to try to fight against him. And literally it says that he's going to be broken without hand. That Jesus is going to say a single word and he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. So it's not going to be much of a battle. So, but that verse right there in Zechariah 14 tells you that when he comes back, his feet are going to literally touch the Mount of Olives. And then the second part in your guys' chart, every eye is going to see him. So at the second coming, and even prior to the second coming, every person is going to see him. They're all going to know that he's there. And then the day of the Lord, when he comes back a second time, takes place after the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you can read that in Revelation 19. So just based on those three simple facts alone, we know that the rapture is not the second coming. It's very different. First Thessalonians 4 is talking about the day where we meet him in the air. Second coming, Zechariah 14, kaboom, split mountain. I mean, it's totally different. Totally, totally different. Okay. All right. So... Um, as far as the voice of God like a trumpet, just go ahead and write this, these uh, couple verses down so that way you can see uh, some different passages here. But John, um, John 12, 28 through 30. And then there's another one that I didn't write down that I want to make sure to give you guys. It's in the book of John. I want to say it's John chapter 10. Um, yes. All right, John chapter 10. So write down John 12, 
um, 28 through 30, and then John 10, 1 through 5. 1 through 5. And take a look at John 10 real quick. I want you to see this. John 10. And then we'll get to the three parts of the rapture and then close things out. All right, John 10. So I mentioned to you those that belong to the Lord are going to hear their voice called by name. And this is another really good passage that shows how that's going to work out. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 1, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter, or the person that is there that guards the door, openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. See, verse 3 right there is the rapture. Because when you read different passages and you find out about heaven and the third heaven, there is a door that's in heaven. And that door can be opened. And then it says here, the porter, so there is somebody or an angel or something that's guarding that door. And it says, to him, the porter openeth, to Jesus. So when Jesus shows up, and it's his time for the rapture, he's going to go to the door that's in the third heaven, and he's going to say, all right, it's time. Open up that door. And the porter's going to open up that door. And then it says, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. That's exactly how it's going to unfold. So if you are born again, you're going to hear Jesus call your name, and he's going to lead you out. And then verse 4, when he putteth forth his own sheep, or takes them out, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And so verse 4 would be a picture of the second coming, that when we follow him, and he's going to lead us back to the planet for his second coming. So verse 3 would be the rapture, verse 4 would be the second coming as we follow Jesus' lead. It's kind of cool. Cool passage right there. Okay. All right. So um, we're not going to have time to look at any of the, the raptures hidden in the Old Testament. I'll just explain them. So the first one that's your blank there under number one is Enoch. Enoch. So Enoch is a type of the rapture. Now this guy, he was preaching um, God's message to the whole world prior to the flood. And he was literally raptured out. God took him. God supernaturally took him out and he did not suffer any of the tribulation of the flood. Get the picture? He's going to take believers out and we're not going to experience the tribulation. Enoch, preaching the word of God, walking with God, faithful to God. God takes him out and he doesn't experience anything to do with the flood. So it's a picture of the rapture. Rahab in the book of Joshua is a picture of the rapture uh, because she was saved out of tribulation when they came to sack the city. Um, Rahab and everyone that was in her household was saved and she was able to go with God's people thereafter. So she's a great picture of the rapture as well. Solomon's Shulamite bride in the book of Song of Solomon. Oh, this one's so beautiful. I love when we went through the Song of Solomon as a youth ministry a few years ago. Um, so with this one, there is a, uh, a scenario that unfolds where Solomon comes to get his bride, and he says, come up, my fair one. Rise up, come, and, and come away. Come with me. And so it's a picture of the rapture there, too, because she's a Gentile bride. She was not Jewish. She was Gentile, and she was married unto the king, King Solomon, which is interesting, just like Jesus. Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 26 talks about the rapture of the church, um, and you can see that there, too. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about this. There are three parts to the rapture. Now, we don't have time to look at all of these passages, but in the Old Testament, um, they had certain feast days that the men of Israel were supposed to present themselves before the Lord, and there were three specifically that God called out. And those three line up with the three parts of the rapture. And so, again, I want you to see this timeline. You have Abraham, Israel. Israel rejects God. We looked at this last week. And you have Jesus Christ. And then you have the times of the Gentiles, that blue area in there. And then you have the green area, which is the church age. So the, we're in that area right now that's green. And then at the end of the green, right here, you have the rapture of the church. Then you have the tribulation. And then you have here, the Israel's restored. And you have the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So we get this timeline here real quick. Now, I also made this one. Okay. So there are three parts to the rapture, okay? So you have the cross of Jesus Christ, and there was a resurrection that took place shortly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there were people that actually rose from the dead at that point in time too, which is interesting. We'll look at that passage. Then you have the church period, and then you have the part that we just talked about called the harvest, and that's where everybody that was born again from Acts chapter 2 all the way up to present day when the rapture occurs they're going to be called up, and that's called the harvest. 
And then you have the tribulation period that takes place for seven years. And at the tail end of the tribulation, there is going to be a rapture of uh, people that trust in, in, in God and in Jesus Christ at the very, very end of the rapture, just prior to the second coming. And this lines up unbelievably beautiful with the Old Testament, with the three feasts, because the three feasts take place and they're called the first fruits, the harvest, and the gleanings. So you have three times a year, the God's like, I want your men to present themselves before me. And it's going to take place during the first fruits, the harvest, and then the gleanings. That's just a coincidence. I'm sure it is. It's just a complete and total coincidence. God has patterns like this all over the Bible. So he kind of hid that there in the Old Testament. And now you have the three parts of the rapture here. So take a look at Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. All right. So, Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So, that is when he died on the cross. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Did you know that? Out of all the years that we have read the crucifixion account or how many times you've read in the book of Matthew, did you ever know that just right after Jesus rose from the grave that there were other people that, says in verse 53, came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many? That's right there. That's what the Bible says. Look at that. That is amazing. So there is a group of people, and this would not be all the Old Testament saints because, I mean, you're, t- you're talking like, I mean, like millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people that were in the Old Testament that died, that were right with God, and they didn't all just come up out of the grave and go into the city. Can you imagine? There'd be more dead people than alive people. They were just resurrected. It'd be weird. Okay. So who are these people? I have no idea. I don't know. I know it's a smaller group of people, and I have a guess on who it could possibly be, but I have no idea. The Bible's not explicit. All we know is that this happened. It says that some, some, many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and they went into the city, and they went maybe back to their homes. Imagine someone that recently had died, that actually trusted in Jesus as the Messiah. They knew he was the Messiah. They believed it, and they happened to die, kind of like Lazarus. And then God raises them from the dead, and then they go back home, and they knock on the door of their house say, Hey, guys. And they're like, ah! <laughs> You'd be freaking them out, wouldn't it? And they're like, you would not believe what I just saw. <laughs> Let me tell you. Get the coffee rolling. Because I know they drank coffee back then. I mean, I know it's an Arab drink or whatever, but I know they drank coffee back then because it's godly. So, so anyway, so you have this area unfold where you have this, this happening. This is unbelievable. So these, this is called the first fruits. It's a small portion of the harvest. And this lines up perfectly with the Old Testament pattern where you didn't have the full harvest. You had the first fruits. And Israel is told to bring to the Lord the first fruits of of their increase. And so they brought the first fruits, a small sampling. And so you have those people that arose out of the graves at that point in time. And I even think about the the two other guys that were crucified with Jesus. Remember what he said to the one? Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Man, that was a short stay. It's quite likely that he was resurrected too. It's quite possible. And then he went back and talked to his family. And then after when Jesus was going to ascend, that they ascended up with him. We don't know when they ascended, but we know that they did resurrect and they probably ascended with Jesus at some point in time thereafter. Okay, so that's the first part. The second part of the rapture would be the harvest. And we already spent a lot of time talking about that. That's the part that we're going to take place in for those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior. We're going to be part of that harvest. And then this last part is the gleanings. So in the Old Testament, and we'll just take a look at two passages. Go to Revelation uh, chapter 14. Let's do 14. Revelation 14. Well, let's look at chapter 7 first. So we're going to go to 14. We go to 7 first. Go to 7. Revelation 7 verse 14. Okay. So Revelation 7 verse 14. There are some people that are there before John... And they're wearing white robes. And the question is asked at the end of verse 13, and whence came they, or where did they come from? 
Verse 14, and I said to him, sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So they came out of great tribulation. Now like, take a look at chapter 14. Chapter 14. Chapter 14. Verse 14. And I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud sat one sat like unto the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle and the on the earth and the earth was reaped. That would be that first part of the rapture. Uh, as far as the tribulation rapture. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and, cr- and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God, and the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horses' bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Okay, so there's two thrusting in of the sickles. The one, they thrust in the sickle, take them out. Nothing bad is said about them. The second one, however, is that they are gathered together, and then God wipes them out. So much so that blood is actually up to the horses' bridles. I mean, you're talking like... That's a lot of people that are wiped out at one time. That's the second coming, where they are mad against him. They want to fight against him. They did not want to repent. They wanted nothing to do with God. And when Jesus Christ comes back, then he takes them and he has to wipe them out. Not because he wants to, because he doesn't want to, but because they were unwilling to repent and to get right with God. So those are a couple examples in, in uh, Revelation of that there is going to be a rapture that takes place for those that have trusted God during the tribulation. They're going to be taken out just prior to the second coming, right? So this is a lot of deep stuff, and we've only hit just a part of the iceberg. So I hope you guys are really getting this and understanding it, because it is definitely something to consider. Okay, so that's the three parts of the rapture. Obviously, the part that we are most familiar with is the harvest, because that's the part that we're going to be in. But there are two others that are in the scriptures as well. Now, let's talk about the practical applications. So why are we talking about the rapture? What is the big deal? Well, first of all, it should give you comfort. If Jesus Christ is your Savior then you should have comfort that no matter what happens in your life, you're going to be taken care of. Everything's going to be just fine. That no matter how bad things get, you have the Lord and he has you and there's nothing that's going to separate that. That should bring a great deal of comfort to you. Secondly, it should make you diligent in the Lord's work. That's exactly what 1 Corinthians 15 says, that when you understand the rapture and you know your future, you should work harder. You should work harder for the Lord. You should be more diligent in God's work. It should make you fruitful, letter C, because you're serving God and wanting to be fruitful for him. You should be humble, knowing that you don't deserve this kind of grace and favor towards God, and yet he's chosen to give it to you. And it should keep you pure. Last point there, the last blank. It should keep you pure. Knowing that Christ is going to come back, how many of you want to be found at a moment where he comes back and you are doing something that is completely unfaithful? Anybody? (gasps) Bucket list item. No. Why would you ever want to do that? Jesus comes back. And you're like, yeah, I totally want to be unfaithful when he shows up. Like, I just want to be in the most embarrassing situation possible. No. So if you believe he's coming back and you believe he's coming to get you out of here, then you need to be prepared and you should be prepared. When he comes, he should find you in a situation where you are blessing him because you're doing the right thing. So all these things should make a huge impact on our life. Okay, that's it. Um, As far as that goes, um, and I'll just answer this briefly, Noah, when it comes to the Old Testament saints. Um, based on what I've studied so far, I really believe that the Old Testament saints like Daniel, Adam, Eve, all those guys uh, are going to be resurrected, but they're going to be in a resurrected body that's going to be not like the ones that we have. But that's not going to take place until the great white throne judgment. Once they pass through that judgment and their name is written in the book of life, which it is for most of those like Abraham and all those, uh, Moses and others, um, that once their name is written in the book of life, they're going to be allowed to pass into eternity future where God has a plan for the nation of Israel at that point in time. And Ezekiel and a few other places talk about, talks about the, the nation being restored and then being fruitful and multiplying. So, yeah. Yep, there you go. That's just in a quick nutshell without any passages. So you can study that one out on your own. Okay, any other questions? Okay.
too deep or is that good? Okay, sweet. Hopefully it makes an impact on your guys' lives. All right, so as I mentioned before, before we pray after church service, make sure that you guys get your stuff in order uh, for getting changed so we can get ready to go to go eat lunch um, and anything else you need to handle, all right? So we're going to meet back in the room here. Yeah, we'll meet back in the room. We'll divvy up into cars at that point in time. Yeah. So when it, when it does talk about those that are sleeping in Jesus, yeah. could it also be talking about those that trusted in Christ but have like walked away but are, were still saved? Oh, yeah, because anyone who's born again during this time, they're eternally secure. Yeah. So even though you might walk away, I mean, God never lets go of you. In the Old Testament and in the Tribulation, um, it was different. So if you walked away from God, you actually lost your salvation. But during the age now, no, that, that can't happen. So the question is now, it was someone actually saved to begin with? If they walked away and they don't care. But that's something that God has to judge out because we can't judge the motive of the heart. Good question. Okay. All right. All right, let's pray. Bobby, you want to pray quick when we get out of here? Great fellowship and safety um, as we go to the throughout the Jesus' name. Amen.